Welcome to Hanchuk Targets History. I'm your host, Tim Hanchuk. Thanks for joining me this episode. You know, I've been teaching high school history for way too many years, and I love talking about this stuff. So let me share with you some interesting, unique, and little-known historical events. I know you'll be entertained, and if you're not careful, you just might learn something too. So, let's lock and load and take a shot at that target of history and see what we can hit. Let's take a walk down range and see what the target shows us. Well, it looks like today we hit all the way back to the War of 1812 again. Specifically, we'll be talking about the battles of Frenchtown and the subsequent River Raisin Massacre that took place between January 18th and 23rd, 1813. All this happened around Frenchtown Settlement and the River Raisin in the Michigan Territory. That would be present-day Monroe, Michigan. It happens to be the deadliest fight ever to take place on Michigan soil and had the highest loss of American lives for any battle of the War of 1812. Let's see what happened. We'll go back to August 17, 1812. On that day, American Brigadier General William Hull, the commander of the U.S. Army of the Northwest, surrendered his men and Fort Detroit to the British under the command of Major General Isaac Brock and their Native American allies under the great Shawnee chief Tecumseh. Ouch, that's not good. As a matter of fact, this surrender had three rather negative consequences for the Americans. First off, General Hull was court-martialed and condemned to death for his disgraceful conduct at Detroit. That being said, President James Madison ended up commuting the sentence to dismissal from the army, having remembered the fine job Hull had done way back in the American Revolution. Secondly, it convinced many more Native American tribes to throw in on the British side, since it looked like they had the upper hand. And finally, British control of Fort Detroit blocked the Americans from a potential invasion of Upper Canada and allowed the British control of more of the Michigan Territory. So much so that the Frenchtown militia was also forced to surrender and be disarmed when Fort Detroit fell. Frenchtown was 35 miles south of Detroit. With Hull sacked, command of the Army of the Northwest was given to Brigadier General James Winchester. The problem with Winchester, though, was that he wasn't very ambitious. He had no plans to try to retake Detroit. This, combined with the fact that he was rather unpopular, promptly led to him being replaced by Ohio's own Major General William Henry Harrison. Here's a fun fact. Harrison would go on to become President of the United States and had the dubious distinction of being the shortest-serving president in history when he died a month after taking office. But anyway, Harrison kept Winchester as his second-in-command and devised an aggressive campaign to retake Detroit. He split his army into two columns. He'd lead one and march on Detroit, while Winchester would have the other in a position to support him. Meanwhile, up in Detroit, Colonel Henry Proctor, commander of the British Army in the area, assembled all the British troops available, along with 500 Native American warriors under Tecumseh. While Tecumseh was present for the battles, he himself did not actually participate and would end up leaving the area before any massacre took place. By the way, 
there's an open-air play about Tecumseh, running every summer at the Sugarloaf Mountain Amphitheater in Chillicothe, Ohio. I remember seeing it as a kid back in the late 70s. It was pretty cool stuff. But I digress. Let's get back to this story. So now we come to the First Battle of Frenchtown. While Harrison marched his column northward toward Detroit, he had ordered Winchester to position his troops within supporting distance. This put Winchester and his men near the Maumee River, in what would be present-day Perrysburg, Ohio. This was about 30 miles south of Frenchtown. For some inexplicable reason, Winchester decided to act without orders from Harrison and sent a small detachment northward to try to take Frenchtown. Leading this detachment was Lieutenant Colonel William Lewis. He had about 600 troops with him, mainly Kentuckians and perhaps 100 Michigan militiamen. They crossed the frozen Maumee and began to march northward along the shore of Lake Erie. On January 18, 1813, they reached the River Raisin, with Frenchtown on its northern bank. Lewis had his troops charge across the frozen river and attack the British and Indian camp, which was comprised of 63 soldiers of the Essex Militia, which was made up of Canadian soldiers, and 200 Native American warriors. They were also supported by a three-pounder cannon. A fierce firefight ensued before the Americans forced the Canadians and Indians to retreat, but the battle wasn't over. The Canadians, with Indian supporting fire, charged the American lines a number of times, being thrown back each time. Sporadic fighting continued for several more hours as the Canadian and Native American forces grudgingly gave ground inch by inch through the surrounding woods before finally withdrawing. During their retreat, the Native American force raided the small settlement of Sandy Creek, which was about two miles to the north. They burned down all 16 houses and killed at least two of the settlement's inhabitants. Sandy Creek would be abandoned after this and never rebuilt. But meanwhile, thanks to Lieutenant Colonel Lewis and his men, Frenchtown was once again in American hands. Two days after the battle, on January 20th, Winchester marched the rest of his men to meet up with Lewis at Frenchtown. Even though Winchester had acted without orders, General Harrison was pleased with how things had played out. He was, however, concerned that the British might mass their forces and overwhelm Winchester's smaller force. To make up for this, Harrison ordered three companies of the 17th U.S. Infantry and one company of the 19th U.S. Infantry to march to Frenchtown. He also sent Winchester orders to hold his ground and prepare for additional combat. Now the soldiers under Winchester's command were undertrained and many were almost completely inexperienced, with the First Battle of Frenchtown being the only combat some of them had seen. On top of this, Winchester's planning was not very good. He had yet to order that ammunition and other supplies be brought up from the Maumee, and he had done nothing to strengthen the weak palisades that encircled Frenchtown. Furthermore, the regulars of the 17th and 19th Infantries ended up camping outside the village. Meanwhile, up north, Colonel Proctor, upon hearing that Frenchtown had been captured, assembled the British forces and moved southward from Detroit. 
At his command were 600 regulars from the 41st Regiment of Foot and the Royal Newfoundland Fencibles. He was joined by some of the Essex militia who had retreated from the first battle, along with an increasing number of Native Americans, who now numbered about 800. As I said earlier, Tecumseh had been in the area, but command of the Indians was left to the Wyandotte chiefs Roundhead and Walk in the Water. The army also had six three-pounder cannons that were being drawn through the snow on sledges. Proctor halted his march on January 21st, about five miles north of Frenchtown, and prepared to attack the following day. Back in Frenchtown on the same day, local residents had come into town to warn Winchester that a large British force was headed in his direction. He ignored their warnings, confidently saying that it would be some days before the British would be ready to do anything. Consequently, he had his forces ill-prepared for what was to come. Troops were camped haphazardly around town, the 17th and 19th were still outside the palisade, and he didn't even bother to set pickets or sentries. On the night of the 21st, Winchester himself retired to his headquarters at Navarre House, which was south of the town across the frozen River Raisin. This brings us now to the Second Battle of Frenchtown. At sunrise on January 22nd, 1813, Proctor launched his attack. The lack of pickets or even sentries by the Americans allowed the British to form up their battle lines within musket shot of the Americans before anyone even noticed they were there. The British regulars were in the middle, with each flank made up of militia and Native Americans. Three of the cannons were positioned to support this. Because of the Americans being so unaware of what was happening, Proctor was able to position three of his cannons to the west of the town, putting them in a position to unleash a lethal crossfire. As the British attack began, the American regulars of the 17th and 19th Infantry were caught out in the open and hammered with musket fire as well as round shot and canister from the cannons. These raw recruits, who were getting their first taste of battle, having not been present for the battle on the 18th, stood their ground for 20 minutes, then they broke and ran. The first indication that General Winchester had that there was a battle going on was when he awoke to the sounds of cannon fire. He scrambled to the battlefield and ordered 240 men of the 1st Kentucky Rifles under Colonel John Allen to reinforce the regulars. By this time, the regulars were breaking, and Allen and his men couldn't reach them. At this point, the militia and Indians on the British left began to close, and what was left of the 17th and 19th, along with Allen's men, now found themselves being hit from three sides. The Americans began a reckless retreat southward. Winchester did try to rally the men three times, but to no avail. After crossing the frozen River Raisin, they were surrounded and captured by militia and Native American forces along the narrow road to Miami Rapids. Around 220 of the Americans were killed, many during the running retreat, including Colonel Allen, who was shot and then subsequently scalped. Winchester was left with only 147 men when he was captured. Chief Roundhead, whose men had taken part in this capture, stripped Winchester of his uniform before turning him over to the British, basically in his underwear. 
This, by the way, is what gave rise to the legend that Winchester was so inept that he had been captured in his nightshirt, you know, like he had barely gotten out of bed. Look, I know the guy made a number of poor decisions, but come on, give him a little credit. Anyway, men from other units, seeing this retreat, also tried to flee, only to be run down and killed by Native American warriors. Here's an interesting note. A few men did succeed in escaping the battlefield by taking off their shoes and running through the snow in their stocking feet. It seems the footprints they left looked just like moccasin tracks, so they weren't followed and hunted down. Meanwhile, the British had occupied a large barn on their left, in the area the Americans had just retreated from, and were using it for cover as they hammered the American forces who were fighting from behind the palisade way over on the American left, about 150 yards away. This proved to be a major problem for the Americans, until a then-private, William Orlando Butler, volunteered to try to do something about it. Butler grabbed a firebrand and went sprinting toward the barn under intense British musket fire. He lit the barn on fire and then ran back to the American lines, grabbed as much straw as he could carry, and ran back to the barn to throw it onto the fire. With the barn well ablaze, he made it back to the safety of the American lines. Though unscathed through this entire heroic action, Butler found his uniform to be riddled with bullet holes after the battle. By the way, Butler would go on to serve with distinction at the Battle of New Orleans later in the war, and would one day rise to the rank of Major General, leading forces in the Mexican-American War. He had a successful career in politics as well. Butler's heroics certainly helped the forces that were still fighting in Frenchtown. That would be the remainder of the 1st Kentucky Rifles, the 5th Kentucky Rifles, and the 1st Volunteers. They had lost 5 dead and 40 wounded up to this point, but had inflicted a heavy toll on the British center, taking out many infantry and almost all the gun crews facing them. Three times the British charged, and three times the Americans threw them back. But now, they were starting to run out of ammunition. Meanwhile, Winchester had been brought to Colonel Proctor, who demanded that he, Winchester, order the rest of his troops to surrender. Proctor even went so far as to threaten that if they didn't surrender unconditionally, they would all be killed and the town burned to the ground. Winchester tried to negotiate, but already being a prisoner put him in no position to make demands. The highest-ranking American officer still on the field of battle was Major George Madison. Seeing that his commanding general was already captured, he sent word to Proctor, persuading him to accept an American surrender on the promise that all soldiers would be protected as prisoners of war. Proctor agreed and had Winchester write orders to his troops, telling them to surrender. When the Kentucky riflemen saw a small British contingent waving a white flag, they thought that the British were calling for a truce. However, a British officer then handed them Winchester's written order to surrender. After the British group had gone back to their own lines, the Americans decided they would rather fight to the death rather than submit. They did this because they were unsure of how the British would treat them, and they also feared that the Native Americans might just slaughter them anyway. As a result, 
Fighting continued for another three hours before Major Madison issued a formal surrender. Thus, the Second Battle of Frenchtown ended with almost 400 American dead and over 500 taken prisoner. Though victorious, Proctor feared that when word of the battle reached General Harrison, he would send a large force to come after the British. Consequently, Proctor decided on a hasty retreat starting that afternoon. All prisoners who were not wounded were marched north, eventually crossing the frozen Detroit River and going on to Fort Malden in Ontario. The wounded Americans would be left behind in Frenchtown. You know, had Proctor waited even one day more in Frenchtown, there would have been time for sleds to arrive to transport the wounded prisoners. Unfortunately, as I said, he chose not to wait. This brings us to the River Raisin Massacre. On the morning of January 23rd, the only Americans left in Frenchtown were those who were wounded. They were housed in a few buildings without any medical care and under the guard of a large group of Native Americans. That morning, the Native Americans began to loot the American possessions. They then gathered all the wounded men who could at least walk and set off to march them north toward Detroit. Those Americans who were unable to walk were slaughtered on the spot, and the buildings they were in burned down. As the wounded prisoners were marched north, anyone who could not keep up was killed, littering the road with mangled bodies. How many Americans were killed in this River Raisin Massacre? Well, we're not sure. Conservative estimates say maybe as few as 30, while others say the number could be upwards of 100. However many it was, it was too damn many. News of what became known as the River Raisin Massacre spread like wildfire through the United States. People were horrified and angered, and Remember the Raisin became a rallying cry for the rest of the war. So what happened then? We know that 397 Americans were killed during the Second Battle of Frenchtown. As I just said, we don't know the exact number massacred. Think somewhere between 30 and 100. Two weeks after the battle, Winchester in captivity reported that 547 of his men were taken prisoner, and evidence shows only a further 33 escaped the battlefield to safety. And speaking of Brigadier General Winchester, he was held by the British for over a year before being released in a prisoner exchange. He was assigned to command the district of Mobile in Alabama, where he remained for the rest of the war. Winchester took most of the blame for the devastating loss at Frenchtown, and I would argue that it was well-deserved. Consider this. Winchester knew the British and Native Americans were preparing a counterattack, yet he neglected to post pickets and sentries. When he was captured early in the battle, he quickly gave in to Colonel Proctor's demands to surrender his troops. Yes, the Americans were bloodied at the start of the battle and lost many men. But remember, the Kentuckians and other units regrouped and began to inflict a heavy toll on the British center. Three British attacks were repulsed, despite the fact that those still fighting were running dangerously low on ammunition, which, by the way, can also be blamed on Winchester because he had not ordered supplies brought up from the Maumee. As a consequence of this terrible loss and subsequent massacre, 
General Harrison was forced to cancel his plans for a winter campaign to retake Detroit. The British held the city until Perry's great victory in the Battle of Lake Erie in September opened the door for its recapture. As for Frenchtown, the British held it as a stronghold until Colonel Richard Johnson led his cavalry to liberate the town on September 27, 1813. Of course, from here, the British were pushed back into Upper Canada, where they were defeated at the Battle of the Thames on October 5th. Now, parts of the battlefield ended up being designated a state historic park and added to the National Register of Historic Places. Then, in 2009, Congress authorized the park's upgrade into the River Raisin National Battlefield Park. Just in case you're wondering, the United States has four different designations for battle sites. National Battlefields, National Military Parks, National Battlefield Parks, and National Battlefield Sites. Regardless of which of the four names they have, there are a total of 25 in the entire United States, and Frenchtown is the only one from the War of 1812. Pretty cool, eh? And speaking of the War of 1812, there was plenty of more fighting to be done before it was finished. But talking about that, well, that would be another story. And there you have it, kind listeners. Thank you for tuning in. You know, if you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and check out some of my other episodes. And I very much look forward to talking with you again, hopefully sooner rather than later.